I, I don't want to like come on and speak fake news. Oh, it feels we're off. When's that ever stopped us? The mouse is running. So this is a new computer, new rig, oh, Jake's yeah. on one too. So it's, maybe there'll be fewer hiccups. I don't know. Maybe I'm on a more. guest computer. <laughs> <laughs> this is value after hours. I'm Tobias Carlisle. Got yes, he is. Uh, Bill Brewster and Jake Taylor here. As always, what's happening, fellas? Hola, amigos. How's this down here? Treating everybody? Live in La Vida Loca in Miami. Mm. Hotels on Collins Ave. I could have found a quieter place. Shout out to Jason Buck for putting me in the noisiest hotel in the entire <laughs> world. Thank you, Jason. I, I bitched at him this morning and he's like, well, look at the price you're paying. What do you expect? I said, I probably would have paid more, to be honest. <laughs> so Dude, hotels okay. seems like they've gotten very expensive. Has anybody else noticed that? Uh, everything. Everything's what? expensive. Uh, oh, <laughs> OK. I missed the. <laughs> Nobody told me. <laughs> Eggs. I understand that you guys that are buying Calmaine, you know, just don't capitalize the earnings. That's my only advice. There have been a lot of, uh, there have been egg factory fires. <laughs> it's not great. That's just called broiling a chicken. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's strange. Uh, let me give some shout outs. Mm. Uh, there's a few here today. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm I got a shout video. out. I got to give. Let me find this dude. San Diego, Jamaica, Pakistan, Hamburg, Gothenburg, Sweden, Roseville, Vancouver, BC, Prince George, Denton, Texas, Gulf of Mexico. What's up? The platform in Israel. What's up? <laughs> oh my Good God. Ben from Berlin, Old York, Spelton, sweet dude, Nashville, Portland. This is a good spread. Hey, so shout out to Matt Commons. C-O-M-M-I-N-S. Mm. Guy's going through a tough time. You know what's getting him through it? Boom. <laughs> Value after hours. That's what we do. Sorry your life has come to this, <laughs> but we appreciate you tuning in. <laughs> we are experts at getting through bad times. As That's right. Yes. Everyone will be tested at some point. Actually, so probably a good time would be the thing that would test us the most. I've never seen one, so I don't know what it would be like. It'd be uncharted territory. What yeah. good times? Yeah, just value ripping for a few years. Good just times. Imagine that blow up and act like I don't know nobody. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's gonna feel like the night we met and we partied in that bar in Omaha late night. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be it great. Speaking of which, I'm gonna be there this year. You got Jake's gonna be there. You coming along, Billy? I this part of the year, I always tell myself no, and then yeah. I always end up there and have a great time. So the answer buy yourself is buy future Billy a gift. Yeah, come yeah, on. I, I'm going to go. just forget about it and then be like, ah, oh, good job. Stop teasing yourself. Just get it booked. Good job, possibly. I'll be at the Harris like I am every year because I'll wait for the <laughs> last minute. Uh, no, see, I've done that once and that was enough. I, that's where I go every time. <laughs> I don't know if I like that that smoking in the early morning. Yeah, that's, I like it. Morning. I like it because... If I walk downstairs, I feel depression immediately, and then the day can only get better. Okay. The bar and I low. like to hit my planned bottom quick. Losing money with friends. That's us. What's up? <laughs> I, I usually stay out of the Harrods, which is good. Although did last you, time, last time me and Scuttle Blurb dropped down a couple bets. It was pretty fun. Hmm. It's Just always a good time. The hotel room bill. Well, and maybe this time we'll like, well, no, we're not. I was going to say, maybe we'll plan ahead a little bit further for a, for a get together. But let's be real. We're not going to plan ahead. That was we a pretty good turnout. That. That, was a, that, was, that was a fun turnout. Yeah. Uh, I've got all my notes on my phone, which I left at my desk. I'll be two seconds. Um, to, what, what are you talking about this, uh, this week? Bill out there. Hey, Phil, Phil. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got. What are uh, you going to talk about? Let's hear you. Let's hear what you talk about. I've got a uh, a little art a piece on a speech that was given in 1986 by this uh, researcher named Richard Hamming, who uh, I, I found very inspiring. And it's just kind of like how talking about like how do you find important problems to to work on, and how do you like who makes truly breakthrough uh, discoveries, and what do they have in common? And I, I think it might be good, might might relate well to the investment research process. So we'll see. Oh, I, w I was thinking that it would relate to me finding meaning in my life, which would be nice. If Am you I? Do that. We could do that too. Let's yeah. 
Let's do that. Why not? What you Tell got, me Billy? what you got. Value spread all time high. Where's that yield curve at? <laughs> that was coming, coming. So I got I got a few interesting ones. Uh, these these just these just like short notes for for general discussion. But um, I saw a tweet yesterday that I just can't open for the life of me. But the um, last week was the first time that we have gone back to fifty percent occupancy of um back to offices work. yeah yeah since before the pandemic yeah mm. isn't that amazing like we're only back to 50 percent now well, what's it's... next people have to wear suits to, to work no no it gets gnarly enough out there. not not sweatpants <laughs> yeah i thought that was wild like that's got to have some implications for commercial real mm. estate and starbucks got to be back right does that help them starbucks yeah that's got to hurt everybody, right? It's got to have massive knock-on effects. How's that not turned up in any of the data yet? I don't know. Well, that was part of my. That was part of why I avoided Starbucks. Actually, like I remember uh, the Starbucks that I used to work on this corner in Chicago, and it was BMO. Then Bank of America was right next to us. The Northern Trust was right across the street from there, and then I think it was uh, Fifth. No, it wasn't Fifth Third. I don't know who it was. It was a private bank, I think. Anyway. Like we go into Starbucks the whole freaking day. And I I just thought, you know, uh, with the, the potential for habit to be broken and the throughput in the stores going down, uh, that was not that was that was a wrong. I, I was wrong. Well, I guess I my question would be, does that. it just shift? Like, do you still have now you need to get out of the house? So now you go to your local rather than the one that's downtown. Yeah, and I think with the drive-throughs, drive-throughs open, they provided sure. people somewhere to go when you couldn't go anywhere else. So, I I missed it. Whatever. Was it Dutch Brothers? Are they doing the drive-through coffee? They had the massive multiple for a while. Is that still? I saw my first one this summer last year. Oh yeah, it was had a probably big line worth looking at now. Yeah, it's definitely gotten cheaper from what it IPO'd at whatever like a year and a half ago or whatever. Uh, I like but- those businesses though. They're good businesses. Coffee like. It's a good for business. all the reasons that Buffett likes Coke. Returns on well, capital are, are strong. Yeah. It doesn't take a ton to set one up. Uh, Huge but, margins. Yeah, no, it's actually margin. not down much. I know. It's I keep my eye on it, but thus far, it's not really gotten. Here's my issue: is that from here, you are betting on a lot of expansion from the West Coast, and if Seas has taught us anything, it's that even great brands don't necessarily travel. And, you know, Coke obviously did just fine traveling all around the world. And for whatever reason that worked, but C's Candy didn't. And what travels and what doesn't, I don't think is all that easy to predict. And so if you're betting on it, being able to go and push past east of the Mississippi, which you are basically in this entailed in today's price. Yeah. I don't know. That's not a bet. I'm, I find all that attractive. I don't know that you need to look at C's, uh, you know, Duncan has been primarily an East Coast brand for a very long time. Um, I know they're successfully expanding. I do kind of wonder, you know, when you get uh, a healthy valuation, uh, the shareholder base is pushing to open quickly, right? Because that's how the math has to work. Yeah. So do you have to, to your point, like, do you have to force the opening in an unnatural and potentially unhealthy cadence? Yes. It's weird, man. I I have these same thoughts about Disney. I've been bitching about this for over a year now, but like, I just wonder if that company wasn't public and it didn't have the shareholder base that I think it has, uh, like, you know, might the, might the food in the parks be like a little bit better? Might it be a little higher quality and might you be able to actually like give up a little bit of margin, but like really, give people like i don't know real experiences that they'll pay for like i just feel like uh they've sucked the joy out of that park and i and i uh i blame a lot of it for the incentives of being a public company yeah, there's always that temptation to make the expedient you know short-term decision in any public company and i think that's the the ones that don't think that way are kind of the prove the exception to the rule um, unfortunately, I, th- I think. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Obviously, Iger's back and maybe he changes it, but 
Chapik was the parks guy, right? Under Iger. So I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. It's where very I'm hard from, to change the culture once that permeates as well, where you're, I mean, look at, look at GE as sort of the pinnacle or the conical example of that in, you know, mid two thousands where it seeps into the accounting, it seeps into the entire operation becomes focused on hitting that next quarterly beat by a penny uh, and somehow they're able to keep doing it and they're tap dancing to to Wall Street's tune. We need $20 million out of some of those acquisition reserves for this quarter. Yeah. You're just going to have to find it in there. You're just going to have to go find it somewhere. Like that's, boy, you, you once you, you start that, I think it's really hard to wring that out of a of a system. That's a bit, yeah. Well, it turns, I, out, I mean, it turns out it's true, <laughs> particularly for GE. For Disney specifically, you know, I, I live in an area where we're close enough that you get a lot of the regional people. And there's so many that I talk to that are now actually SeaWorld comes up a lot as where they take their family because it's cheap uh, relative to. And Universal has picked up just a ton of season pass holders that used mm. to be Disney pass holders that now they go to Universal. I went there with the kids. I will follow up on my previous story. Uh, a lot different when you're with the children than when you're oh. partying. Uh, I thought to myself as I waited over an hour in that one line, would I be mad at me for skipping this line? And I determined I would be mad because I got mad at a grandma that was going after her lost grandchild. But I still, I still, think that I, I still think that I'm okay in the karmatic universal. I'm not sure I need to find God like the person told me I needed to, but I, I will admit that, uh, you know, certainly intoxication led to some potentially bad decision-making on my part, the first trip, but boy, was that fun. It was fun with the kids too, man. Harry Potter land is special. Mm. I get another one. Uh, retail participation is back to levels that we saw in about uh, April last year. This is uh, zero hedge. Mm. So take your put your own spin on it. But the how uh, uh, SPX retail buy interest is back to where it was first quarter last year. So SPX, this is going to be a really stupid question, but what is that? Is that what? SP what are we measuring here? It Volume. flows. Flows is that what it is? Like, is it is it options also? Because like these daily options that have blown up, these things are fucking crazy. Do you think that's doing something to the, so that this is a little bit more esoteric, but do you think that's doing something to the vol, to the Delta, VIX? Delta according, stuff. according to the guys that I talked to, uh, the problem with the VIX is the construction is completely crap. Uh, they say there's two VIX products. One is a three month VIX product. And they said, that's excellent. But uh, that's not the one that's marketed because it's not the one that drives fees. Because if you have to trade 12 contracts a year, that's better for SIBO than if you have to trade four. Um, mm. But they said it, it's like a way that construction, it's a way the VIX is constructed. And they said that the, the daily options don't have enough uh, theta decay in them really to, to influence the vol structure. This okay. is the conversation I just had. So okay, I'm only parroting somebody else and you're only getting my interpretation of what they said. So For those of us who are just tourists in volatility, theta is just time, isn't it? That's just not enough time. It's a day. That's it's correct. a, yeah. You are no tourist, sir. Well, <laughs> I never want to get caught by one of the guys who actually knows what he's talking about. Yeah, that's the, fair. The PNL says otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, by, yeah. by a tourist. I've lost a lot it, of money in vault. That's true. As have I. <laughs> As have I, a rite of passage in finance. The thing is, it's it's got that you know it's got that payoff structure so where obvious. you're supposed to lose a little bit of money. Yeah, no problem. Every month, which which you know I'm good at that, so I did lots of that for a long time. <laughs> and then you're supposed to get this big payoff, and I've had three big payoffs because I've done it in different products. I've done it in literally in the VIX. I've done it in spy puts. I've done it in VIX calls, spy puts, and uh, the HYG puts as well. And mm -hmm. I've got paid three times, and I've never collected on it because. In every instance, it, what you it, mean? You've been in the money three times. I've been, I've been way in the money, like thirty percent of the portfolio in the money, and then it's, it's, it's run out by the time. Uh, so the, the, it's, the, it's those that goddamn European options on those. That's the problem. Well, I could, I could sell it out. I could, I could get out. It's just you know when you get that, 
they've all been little moves. Like it's all of the moves between here and, you know, not this, not, not last year, obviously it was probably the last one I did was 2018, something like that. Yeah. They're quick. You got to know when to cash it out. Well, here's the thing though. Like when vol gets trending, like that, the 30% of the portfolio becomes like 300% of the portfolio at some point. You can't take it off too soon. This is your one shot. That's right. Got some coin. Yeah. Anyway, didn't work. (laughs) You know, uh, the story Jason Buck told yesterday about how he started to come up with his uh, fund. He was in commercial real estate and, you know, that shit the bed in 2007, 2008. And because he was close to the industry, he put like basically his remaining money on shorting in the options market, like the banks or whatever. Okay. And he was right, but he didn't understand vol. Mm. And even though he was right on the direction, he lost everything again. Wow. So he's like, I went broke and then I went even more broke with the <laughs> right call. And that was my yeah. that was my options education. I said, Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> I have a buddy who always, I always tell him like, he thinks he can make directional calls and express it in options. And I'm like, dude, volatility, the, the, you're going to get screwed because you don't understand vol and how theta works. If you hold it to, to expire, you should get paid if you're right. And and you can always do it. You know, you can do it part in the money. So it's like a big levered bet. There's lots of, I don't want to encourage anybody to do that stuff. Yeah, there, this is there are not smart investment advice. Get. That's right. There is, this is a way that you can really wax yourself. I mean, I have a friend who made his, well, I shouldn't say he made his year, but a big contributing factor to his year last year was in out of the money calls um, on Maxar. But like he had a view on a transaction, right? So that, that like he thought the options were mispriced. Mm. I just, I think. I think, boy, you better have a, a good sense of why that option's mispriced rather than I feel like this direction is going this way. Speaking of retail, I happened to look uh, from when Tesla joined the S&P 500. Any guesses as to how it's performed since then? Since it joined? Is December, it down since it joined? I think uh, it was November 2020 is when it joined. Oh, okay. So I think the peak was... <sighs> Close to January 2021. So, uh, yeah, January 2022. Sorry. So, yeah, I, I, it's probably down. How much is it down? So, December 21st, 2020 is when it joined. And it's down, well, this was as of a couple of days ago, but uh, down 19% since joining oh, the S&P 500. No, Tesla. Oh. oh, Tesla. Sorry, my connection's unstable and I went into the matrix for a second. I bet Salesforce is... It's probably a similar looking thing for the Dow with and swapping Exxon out for Salesforce. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Has anybody ever run, you know, it's a committee that makes those decisions about what goes in and what comes out. Like there are rules, but their rules are sort of not necessarily quantitatively followed. Has anybody ever looked at I don't think what- they can be either with like if the if the size of the indexation of the market get gets up to a level where you all of a sudden have to buy, you know, let's say if even a couple percent for Tesla in this case, like it was the biggest one I think so far, but if you have to put that much money to work that quickly to make it part of the index, like you could just end up with these crazy market swings. So they have to figure out ways around that to like ease into it, to, uh, you know, who do they decide to pick or not? I think it's a lot less quantitative and, um, strict discipline than what we might imagine. But isn't that two? Isn't that two questions? Isn't that like one of them is how you trade a fund that matches that index, which that's that's kind of what you're talking about there. Yeah. And then there's just like managing the index. So they just make decisions about what goes in and what comes out. And they've done stuff like they didn't include Google because they thought it had run up to, for the first year or so because they thought it had run up too far too fast. And I forget that what the problem with Tesla was probably something similar. They thought it had run up too far. But it qualified, and there was some debate over whether it would actually get added or not. Mm. I don't know. That didn't hasn't worked out so far. Let's just. Say but that's that. been a good strategy for lots of people. Like pe- lots of people are aware that you buy the stuff that falls out of the index, and on the guess that it'll be re-added in in the next you know over the next few years. Well, particularly I, down the small. I don't know stuff. if it's the re-addition as so much as the four sellers who are tied to that index product. If you're if you get bumped out of an index, then there's a bunch of 
sellers who or a bunch of holders who need to just puke it right away to stay on to meet their mandates. And there's probably a bunch that also do it just to stay closet indexing. So well I used to do that like when when stuff fell out of the Russell 2000. Like I don't know how many people are watching the Russell 2000 half a dozen blokes in, yeah. in the entire world. But when stuff fell out, like you could buy it and then you just wait a year or two or three and it gets re-added to the index. Mm. And that's your that's your exit. I don't know if anybody's tested that strategy. I think it works pretty well, provided it's undervalued when it comes out. Do you guys want to do some uh, market prognosticating? No. I like the idea of buying <laughs> in the up list. You, you yeah. had something to add then, JT? No, I don't. I was just joking. We can prognosticate if you want. So this is from GMO. This is from Grantham's latest bit. Rate cuts after great US bubbles. So again, Grantham's so Everybody who discounts him can immediately discount him. Yeah, just tune out now. But the um, he he's got the day of the first rate cut for December nineteen twenty nine. Subsequent drawdowns in U.S. stock markets seventy nine percent after that rate cut, and the date of the market trough was three years later, June nineteen thirty two. So let's let's back up a little bit. What he's talking about here is that historically twenty nine ninety nine oh seven two thousand seven. Yep. All of those time periods where everyone thought, oh, the Fed's going to come to the rescue with a rate cut, have then basically the Fed wasn't able to stop anything from happening, is effectively what he's saying there, right? But then continue. Go ahead. No, that's, that's, the, I, I just have the chart. That's, that's, that's the entire point, just that the, when the rate cuts come, that I think that's one of the things that many of the bulls are hanging their hats on here that, you know, lower rates, um, in housing and in in the stock market, mean that the market turns around and, and rallies again. Mm-hmm. But that's not been the case historically, particularly in these big bear markets. The rate cuts sort of happen closer to the top, except for one instance of '73, where yeah. it 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 didn't like it actually bottomed right as the first rate cut was happening. And there's an argument this market is more like '70, like those early '70 ones than those other ones too. Lest lest we think that there's complete precision in these you know these historical analogies that there is not there is not true i guess this all we got to do now is we got to fill we got to fill for 10 months while uh while we see whether the uh yield curve inversion worked or not Mm. well i i don't know i mean does it feel like to anyone else that the Upside versus downside seem to be skewed in ways that aren't as attractive necessarily. I mean, how much can you make from here versus how much might you lose from here? Just to a- try to answer oh, that man. question. I don't know. What do you think? It, it what's put put a put a couple numbers to that, like your thoughts right now. Well, I think that there. I mean. This is a natural thought of anyone that likes the idea of stock picking. But, you know, yeah. I, I was going through manual of ideas, their best ideas. Shout out to John and them. I mean, I think there's some good pitches out there. Um, I, I think that, you know, I Roku, Jesus, that thing's ripped 43% in like a fucking month. Uh, yeah, all that stuff's up amazing. Yeah. Kavana's up 100%. Yeah. Um, I mean, Warner Brothers, um, you know, but like, I, I don't know where I think the opportunity is, but I know that I think there is still opportunity. I, I Now, you know, something like Microsoft, the probability that it's a better short over the next year than a long, I think is pretty high. Uh, and when I say pretty high, call it 60-40. I don't actually have any strong beliefs on this stuff. Yeah. Um, but medium term, like, that business is getting more and if if their disclosures were real, that business is getting more and more relevant in people's lives even now. And uh, you know, if you need to trade down in your total aggregate spend, you know, having a an E five product or whatever the hell they call it uh, versus you know like individual products, I, I could see the strong being stronger coming out of this with really good businesses where. Three to five years out, you look at it and you say, okay, that was actually a pretty good time to buy. But you know, yeah. the next 12 months, who the hell knows? That's right. That's what I that's that's roughly where I get to too. I think that if you look at 
Greenblatt's little Gotham uh, website where he's got the Ford two-year return. So we're, we've ticked down a little bit from the 90th percentile to the 89th percentile, but he's still saying your returns are... He's where they're coming in at 50 or well, something? It's like, yeah, 50, 58.7 something, something like that. Mm. 58.8. So like last week it was the 90th percentile at, at 60%. This week it's the 89th percentile at 50, 59%. So it all, it's still Ford returns look really good, even though we've evidently we rallied a little bit over the last week in that in that portfolio. I think that's right. I think that the longer term returns, like as we've discussed, that the two-year returns and longer three-year returns, five-year returns are pretty good here. But the path that you take to get there is it could be gnarly, but then every single man and his dog thinks that. So there's no insight in that. Hey, uh, a short idea I saw on Twitter, like somebody just threw it out. And I think it's pretty interesting to think on is Chegg. You know, they, they're basically like the cheat sheet uh, for colleges. Like what does Chad GPT do to that business? I had shorted that thing uh, when I was doing a little bit of shorting. Yeah. I haven't looked at it for a while. It's shortable. Oh. It was pretty gnarly when I looked at it. I feel That's those actually things- the type of thing that I could see Chad GPT like not just disrupting, but disposing of. Is that what Chegg is? Is it cheating? More or less. I thought they were like... <laughs> it's got yeah. like all the answers and stuff. So if you're a college student, you like pay and then you get the answers. I hadn't quite f- understood that part. Isn't right. that I'm what sure like, there's like... I'm the sure there's a more altruistic is... pitch, but come on. How are people actually using it? Isn't that Ch- what you would want in a business person though? Is like, find the cheapest way to find the answers. <laughs> I, I like yeah. the line about ChatGPT. GPT. Someone said it's like a newly minted MBA. It's very, very confident and it's often right, but it's, it's also lots of little mistakes in there. Yeah. No disrespect to the newly minted MBAs. <laughs> nah, plenty of disrespect. To them. Or CFAs. Apparently that's a hot topic right now. Yeah. Well, why is everybody going at the CFA? Because the exams are, the exams are, everybody's studying for them. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Has ChatGPT passed that one yet? That's a good question, actually. It's because it's a, the thing that makes it hard is it's a closed book test. Not that the questions are really that difficult, just that you have to memorize it all. Yeah. Yeah. You got to learn how to. I had to learn how to do it. I, I couldn't memorize my way through that test, which is what I thought the benefit of the closed book. Like I had to learn how to think about the problems, not memorize. I, you know? I just think memorizing memorizing formulas is a waste of time. And I think that you've got to know which formula to use because it's this you've got to go so fast that you can't be looking everything up. Like you, you couldn't take in the six textbooks and look everything up as you went through it, right? You have yeah. to know what you're looking for. And then you're just going to find like, where's the bracket? Where's the, that? that's all. That's all I would have liked it for. Yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed the process a lot. Uh, I understand the merit of open book text. That, that's how law school was. Is that that's how law school was too. in Australia? Yeah, yeah. 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 You I can mean, bring that's, notes. That's a good way to yeah. test. Uh, last Tuesday, while we were while we were recording this, that was the um, the biggest short covering since June 2022. I mean, who gives a shit? 2020, June 20, so six months ago. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what's that mean? Well, I guess there was a lot of short covering for the, over a short period of time. So I thought it was a bit longer than that when I was when I started reading it. Feels like some animal spirits are back, at least in the trading world. Mm. What do you think caused that? January. Yeah, January. <laughs> I, I think that I think that what happens is you get the short start covering at some point. And then people misinterpret that as the bull run has begun and people pile in. But then I, I could be wrong. Maybe the bull run has begun. Maybe October was the lie. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I, think I, I, think, I think you get a combination of January and FOMO and you can get a lot of rips. I also think, you know, a lot of stuff is arguably cheap and I don't know. We'll all see how the path looks uh, going forward. If anyone knows, let me know. I'd love to know the answer. It's been a, a switch- fair amount of, uh, you know, Skinner box type of conditioning of pigeons in the by the dip uh, mentality for the last you know, last twelve plus years. Yeah. I mean the risk reward, like on something like Warner Brothers, I, I I 
it's not the type of thing I want to own anymore. Like I'm just, I'm not that interested in that, but I, I get why people bought it down certainly below 10. And I, I even kind of get why they buy it here. What, why are you, uh, when you, when you say that type of thing, that sounds like there's been some evolution in your investing strategy. What do you, um, I just, what are I you mean, trying to get to? I, I can't get comfortable with a business with that much leverage that has its core cash generation coming from something that's losing video consumers, you know, 10%. And I, and I, you know, wait, are we talking about curate now or? (laughs) Well, but, but that's the thing. So like with curate, uh, the, the argument was that the cohort would remain stable. Right. Mm. And that customer decline would be a lot, lower lower than than your cord cutting because they skew how older right and their minutes their disclosures of minutes watched are going up uh i i just i don't know man legacy media with that much debt scares me i mean it's also why i cut the cord quick not to (laughs) what a pun but it's why I, i didn't have a whole lot of uh like i'm not sticking around and curate to find out what the end looks like right uh Mm-hmm. I had one thing that I wasn't willing to um, bend on and, and it would have forced me to bend. So I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's a very hard, hard. Uh... An interesting dynamic is I think when when Warner Brothers comes out and says, I'm going to license and then the shares respond like they have. I actually think it like really solidifies Netflix's competitive position because now the incentive is like, OK, well, license to Netflix. Paramount's got the same issue. They have to service debt. I don't think their shareholder bases are particularly patient. It's just kind of an interesting thing to watch. I don't know how you guys wrap your mind around media. I find it really hard to imagine what the world of that looks like in 10 years. Yeah, I don't know that I'm any good at it. So I know I'm not. So I just stay away. But I'm jealous of all these other people because it seems like if you when you figure it out, there's like there could be very, very good businesses inside of there when you understand it, but I don't know. Too hard for me. You don't it's have nice to make to have any decisions now. Revenue. Yeah. What'd you say, Billy? It's nice to have subscription revenue, right? Like mm-hmm. there's there's it's a nice business model. But the cost, you know, it's a cost issue right now. So we'll see. When Netflix does, you know, they've allowed people to share passwords forever and they're cracking down that a little bit, which that shouldn't be that hard to do. You just have one device using one password at a time, right? And that 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 you could you could turn that on at any time. Do you think like what's the what's their thesis there that when they were growing and they were, they were just that was that was you know when the when the when we're in that high growth it didn't matter and now that we're they want to switch it to profitability a little bit but they can't imagine that everybody who's getting who's sharing is going to start buying a new subscription run. Oh, maybe enough to when your sub numbers stall out, you got to figure out how to keep them going, right? Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And you might be able to say, you know, uh, I hear three bucks more a month and you can keep your profile on your parents account and you get a, a couple more bucks. I mean, I, I, I think the thing that is so shocking about Netflix to me is I, for the longest time watching that business, didn't understand at all what they were doing and watching the debt markets fund that I thought was so stupid. And now when you see what they built and and maybe this was just like the 10% chance that worked out, but from a capital allocate, from like a, an allocation of equity perspective for them to build that business and to have debt finance that risk, that is fucking impressive. Like that is an amazing business story to me. Obviously, it carries the valuation it does because of that. But like, I that's not something a younger me ever could have seen. Is that is there a matching to that, though, of like the production of the asset? Let's call it a piece of content. You pick whatever favorite show and then using debt to finance it. And then the duration of the cash flow to match the liquidation of the debt. Is that work? Because I feel like this stuff is like, you know, it it ages like lettuce out in on the kitchen counter. Like, does it, is there a longer tail to this than I'm giving it credit for? 
Well, I think that I, I think now the machine is is able to continue to spit out content. I, I don't think you're you're not counting on like previous movies to retire your debt. But I mean, they're they're super under levered. They're only like three times levered on a cash flow basis at this stage from a debt perspective. If you're if you're an equity guy, you can say, oh well, how much of that share based comp? The debt market doesn't care about share based comp. It's it's true cash to debt. So, like that business is very conservatively financed at this point. I guess that debt hail Mary kind of landed in a way. Yeah, yeah, that's what I don't know, right? Was it Mary that landed, or was it something I didn't see for a long time? I'm I'm not sure what the answer is there, but it's a hell they of a must have a pretty good. They must have pretty good analytics in the back end that they can see. They can they can direct their investment to the stuff that pays off. So you get season after season of like Emily in Paris. The other things get chopped pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I I suspect they're better at having a, an idea of what like an existing syndicated sitcom could do as opposed to creating something new. Uh, I, I'm not sure that they're that good at creating new stuff. Have any of the Netflix shows gone into syndication on cable? No. Do they do that? Not yet. But I wouldn't be shocked if some go to Roku. Like Roku's desperate for content on their channel. They just signed. I, Warner Brothers just had a release that they they're given some. I think like two thousand hours or something to the Roku channel. Um, Roku needs that. JT, do you want to do your veggies? Sure. Do that. So this is uh, from a nineteen eighty six talk by this. Uh, researcher, really a giant in the field of computer science and mathematics named Richard Hamming. It's called You and Your Research. And uh, this guy's background is is very unique in that he worked on the Manhattan Project at Los Alamos in 1945, and then he joined Bell Labs in 1946, and he worked there for 30 years. And he was involved with almost all of their prominent achievements. And, and then at the end of his career, he taught at the Naval Postgraduate School uh, for the rest of his life. But, you know, in, in 1986, he was invited to give this talk and it was called You and Your Research. And it really centered around this one question. Why do so few scientists make significant contributions and so many are forgotten in the long run? And, and he's trying to untangle this. And uh, Hamming worked with like the who's who of scientists in the 20th century. I mean, he worked with Fermi, Feynman, Teller, Oppenheimer, Beth, uh, while he was in Los Alamos. And then he shared an office with Claude Shannon while he was at Bell. So like he gets to see up close all of these people who had truly breakthrough research and what do they have in common? And so that's what he's sharing in this, in this talk. Um, so he starts off with this this common belief that that it's all about luck, right? Like it's the right person or they're the right place at the right time. And that, it, you know, it, whoever was there would have figured out how to, to do whatever it was that was done. And, he, you know, he said based on his observations that luck is is part of it, but that it's 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 not that at all. And it's really that there's more having that prepared mind. It, it sooner or later, it finds something important and then it does does something with it. Um, we said one of the characteristics you see is that many people uh, is that they usually uh, when they're young, they have these independent thoughts and that they have the courage to pursue them. And so a lot of times, like the younger people are the ones who make these breakthroughs because they don't get stuck in the old guard of doing things. Um, you know, he said, maybe, maybe is it about having a lot of brains? Like, obviously there's sort of a minimum level of, of genius to be in those hollowed you know, grounds that he was walking in, but he said, that's not enough. And it actually, there's a lot more to it. And that uh, a lot of it is actually just about them having courage uh, to go after things and, and work on important problems. Um, he said a lot of times that like the working conditions were sometimes they appeared to be like a hindrance, but they were actually what helped you unlock. Like there was this, these constraints that inspired creativity um, so he was talking about how like some researchers in his department when he was at Bell Labs, they're given this like these small underpowered for the day computers, and they wanted to find ways to make those machines like actually get good work done. And they came up with the system to do it. And that's actually what Unix was born. Um, and, it, you know, that's been used ever since in all kinds of applications. Um, so he says, like, what appears to be a fault often by a change of viewpoint turns out to be one of the greatest assets you can have. So if you look carefully, you'll see that often the great scientists, by turning the problem around a bit, changed a defect to an asset. Um, 
So he also says that you like these, the great scientists all had tremendous drive. Like they were just always working. And he said that like knowledge and productivity act like compound interest. And, you know, given two people of approximately the same ability and one person who works 10% more than the other, the latter will be twice as out. He'll outproduce the former by, by two X. And he said, the more that you know, the more that you learn, the more that you learn, the more you can do. And the more you can do, the more the opportunity. And it's very much like compound interest. And so he's very, he's starting to sound a lot like Buffett and Munger, right? Like that all of these things sort of compound together. Um, the one person who manages day in and day out to get in one more hour of thinking will be tremendously more productive over a lifetime. Uh, so he said that one thing that uh, existed between all these people is that they were able to tolerate ambiguity more than others. So he said, like most people believe that there's that's in that something is or is not true. But he said the great scientists will tolerate ambiguity. Like they'll believe a theory enough to go ahead, but they doubt it enough to notice the errors and faults, so that they can step forward and create the replacement theory to it. Um, so is if you believe too much, you'll you'll no, you'll never notice the flaws, and if you doubt too much, you won't ever get started. And so it requires this balance. Um, he has this great line that great contributions are rarely done by adding another decimal place, which I think is, <laughs> uh, he believed in harnessing the subconscious says if you're doing a deeply immersed and committed to a topic day after day, you're just thinking about it. He said, your subconscious will have nothing to do, but answer it in the morning for free. Um, so he adopted what he called great thoughts time. And so every, after lunch, every Friday, he would dedicate that time period to only discussing these big, great thoughts. Like it wasn't going to be small stuff. Um, so dedicating 10% of his time to these big ideas was important for him to unlocking, uh, you know, these big breakthroughs. That's how he invented shoes with zippers. <laughs> Is that what it was? Uh, so how about working with your door open versus closed? This is an interesting observation. He noticed that if you have your door uh, closed to your office, you get more work done today and tomorrow, but and you're more productive over than most over a shorter period. But 10 years later, somehow you don't quite know what the important problems are to work on. And after all that hard work, you end up sort of in a tangential to importance. So the people who had their doors open, they had all kinds of interruptions they had to deal with, but they occasionally get clues as to what the world is and what might be important to work on next. Um, so there's there's this like this trade-off to it that's kind of interesting. He said that he's a very egotistical person and he used that to his own advantage. So he, he said most people when they look to take a sabbatical to write a book, they don't finish it on time. So before he left to do his, he told everybody, all of his friends, that he was going to come back and that book was going to be done. It was going to be great. And he knew that he'd be ashamed to then come back without it. And he used that. He used his ego to to force himself to believe, uh, like the way that he to act in the way that he wanted to act. Um, so he found out many times that he was like a cornered rat in a in a trap. And he, you know, he was surprisingly capable when he set these kind of things. I don't know if that's going to help you, TC, Thanks, for JT. your book. Uh, <laughs> so he said, if you're going to be a first class scientist, you need to know yourself, your weaknesses, your strengths, and your bad faults, and be able to counteract them. And I mean, how often do we talk about that uh, in the investment world? Uh, interestingly enough, like how much should you read? You hear Buffett say like reading all day, Munger. Uh, Hamig said that if you read all the time what other people have done, you'll think the way that they thought. And if you want to think new thoughts that are different, you have to get the problem reasonably clear and then refuse to look at any answers until you've thought the problem through carefully for yourself and how you would do it. Um, and then you could slightly change the problem then to be the correct one often. Whereas if you're only reading everyone else's versions of it, uh, you're, you're never going to really think of what's truly possible. You're just going to have everyone else's thoughts in your head. Um, and then the last thing, he had this interesting, he said, like, uh, he advised that you should change your, like what you're working on, significant, like the significant things, like every seven years. And uh, you need like a complete shift in your field. And that doesn't mean like going from, you know, theoretical physics to English, English literature or something. Um, you know, in, in his instance, he went from numerical analysis, he was a mathematician, to then hardware in the computer space to then software. Uh, but he said, when you go to a new field, you have to start over as if you were a baby and you're no longer this big muckety muck who knows everything about a field. And starting back over, you get to 
start planting those acorns, which will then become giant oaks in that field later. Um, so just like looking to, to shift your focus every seven years, he thought was important for, cause he saw guys and actually he said this happened with Shannon where they had some huge breakthrough in their field. And then they were kind of stagnant after that, because like, how do you top that ever? You have to go somewhere else and maybe bring the tools that you learn there into the new field and then make new unlocks. So um, I think the, the investment research side of, of all of this is kind of obvious and we don't really need to like plow through it, but just fascinating to the insights from somebody who saw all of these successful people up close working with them on a day-to-day basis. What were the commonalities between them? And then what can we do to be, to be closer to our big, you know, what the most important things that we can work on. What's the name of the talk or the book? You and your research is the name of the talk. You can, it's, it's available for free online. It's a, uh, you could just Google it. I think the university of Virginia has it hosted and written up. And what's the gentleman's name? Richard Hamming, H A M M I N G. That's cool. That's good stuff. That's very yeah. Buffett like. It's all very, very Buffett like, which sort of speaks to, you know, I think something we, you know, we talk about is like they're often these sort of fundamental truths that reemerge in different contexts, different people touching the same elephant, uh, but that they're, they exist in a kind of in an in absolute sense of like, yes, this is sort of a fundamental truth about the way the world works. And, um, you know, we see it show up again and again in different forms of greatness and, um, I think Hamming had his finger on the pulse of that in a in a pretty serious way. Did he did he have any great insights? Did he? Oh, tons! Like he was a prolific researcher. He there's all kinds of Hamming, you know, Hamming code, Hamming dot dot dot. He said that <laughs> you might find this kind of funny. You know the like how do, like you get attribution right for for being the first in somewhere. And he said, you know, if, if you have a if it, if your name is capitalized in the thing, then it's actually not as big of a of a of a find. But when your name gets lowercase in in then becomes part of that, then that's when you've really made a big discovery. So like Ampere's, right? Like um, like Hertz, for instance. Like all of these are they become units of measurement that we all use today in a lowercase sense, but it was a it was a capital case person who came up with it. So if you ever get to lowercase status, you know you're the real shit then at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So we actually there is actually hamming code that's lowercase H, I think. Hmm. Any idea what it does? No idea. <laughs> Zero idea. <laughs> Yeah, that's good stuff. I, I um, I'm going to have trouble relating it directly to anything that we're doing. So, what could, do could we do getting, for a segue? Could could be getting that book over the finish line, my friend. Wow, well, I'd love to do that. Yeah, let's get a public commitment right here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Tell us when. Time to the mast. Yeah, I don't know. Close, close. Oh. <laughs> I'll get it. I'll get it done for Berkshire. How's that? I'll get it done by, by May. I'll say that. Wow. All right. That's a, that's a strong it's aggressive. Commitment. I like it. Yeah. I, it should be, I should, that should be achievable. Um, I Let's, switch. Well, go ahead. I was going to say we should, we should dip into some Q and a while we're stalling. Yeah, that's out a good here. idea. But I was going to say, I saw Chainos. Chainos said that the, the market had never bottomed this high before. Are there any companies that'll go bankrupt this year? I will, Permanent new high plateau, no bankruptcies. Bed Bath and Beyond. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there are. I don't know who they are. How do you have record debt and then uh, record corporate debt, let's say, and uh, increasing interest rates and not somehow get closer to the edge of more bankruptcies? Yeah, there should be some. I would say capitalism is not working if if bankruptcies are too low. Yeah. Yeah, Bed Bath and Beyond looks like it's in a little bit of trouble. Probably ripping on, on the news of bankruptcy. It's down today. It's down. Well, I think it uh, did. Okay. I think it did have a big rally. It's, it's up. It's up January. Yeah, that's it's weird that those. Um, you know, remember when Hertz Hertz got its cue yeah. and had the big rally? What what's the what's the thesis on that stuff? I have no idea. I'm not that smart. Yeah, I don't know either. That everybody's, everybody's trying been to play. Out. 
yeah, front running that stuff. Yeah, did you guys did you guys take a look at the Hindenburg piece on Adani? No, it's too no. long. I couldn't I couldn't look at it either. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to know. I don't know. I saw their response. What's it claiming fraud. I mean, that's usually what Hindenburg's doing, right? They say that there's some hidden accounts and there's some trading between the hidden accounts and some other stuff like that. I don't know. I just thought it was very long and I saw uh, the Adani response had a little bit of like an attack on India. Attack on Adani is an attack on India. And I went, I don't know. Do you need to do that? If, you, if you're confident, you just buy back stock. Yeah. Doth, doth protest too much. Yeah, a little bit. What about beyond Kavana? I don't know enough about how close they are. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, there's smart people that think it's they're going bankrupt. That I, I have no idea. Kavana's funny because I think it's. What quite do you do a, with that information? It's quite an interesting business. You're going to short just, it to zero. Yeah. What's well, off a lot? Yeah. It's had a big rally. It's had a big rally over the last. Yeah. Everything, it's crazy, the rally that we've seen. And I mean, hats off to Kathy Wood. She's had a blockbuster January. I think she's up nearly 30% for January. Is that right? Wow. Who yeah, so Kavana's up 113% year to date. There you go. And it's only January 31st. <laughs> that's a, that's what's, what's, good. what's the IRR on that? It's up to almost 10 bucks. It's crazy. Up fifty percent over the last four days. No. So you're going to short that to zero? Yeah, not me. This is a difficult game. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Hindenburg were right on Nikola, likely right on Adani. I don't know, but these are all seem like eight foot bars to me, not one foot bars. Yeah, they are hard, aren't they? Yeah, did you see the richest man in the world is uh, the LVMH? Um, as they call him in Emily in Paris. I'm sorry, I know so much about this show. But <laughs> Dude, this is J- JVMH, it's getting sad now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> as you can imagine, that's we're watching that for my benefit. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes, Beyond's financials do not look inspiring. Which one? Which one's Beyond's? Yeah, Beyond. I mean, you've got even if you even if you don't account for the inventory growth. I mean. This is not a company that generates much free cash flow. You need to think beyond all. the beyond the financials, Bill. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Uber still doesn't make money. Yeah, I just got to get scale. I would. Yeah, I would love. Like, I think Uber's one of those things that that should be a good business, but it's it's still not. Can't take a swing at it yet. Well, I I don't know. I mean, is there pricing power? I'm not sure. If, how do you get pricing? I guess if you have two two competitors, Lyft and Uber, with some some implicit. Uh, how often do you use Lyft? How often do you use Lyft? Well, I own a vehicle, so I don't use either one of them all that often. <laughs> so, I but I, when, I'm tra- when I'm traveling, I I tend to Uber. Yeah, I try to use both so to keep them honest, but. You know, there's, you? Okay. They're, they're just aren't as many cars using Lyft in the areas that I use. So it's hard to find a, a Lyft at, the, okay. at that time. I just, the cost structure in these businesses is nuts. Like, I, I just, I mean, I, I just don't know. I don't know why SG&A just doesn't go down. There's like no <laughs> leverage. Yeah, we'd never get like any like learning curve efficiencies on this, despite yeah. growth, just... <laughs> And R&D in a lot of these things just seems like a hamster wheel that just continues to spin and get bigger and bigger. Hey, Matt Commons just gave us 100 bucks. Thanks, Matt. We'll yeah. And, Fuck uh... yeah, Matt. <laughs> so I'm hey, talking Omaha, about. You can come along. Jeez. We might actually plan something and invite you. The rest of you guys can figure out where the hell we are. <laughs> oh, man, we are a cheap date. Yeah, that's right. All right, we got. All right, hit us with the Q and A. I think they've been trying. Uh, Jake. The problem um, is we just don't know anything. We just—it's just Q. It's no A. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> all, all Q, no A. That should go on a T-shirt. <laughs> Do you know when when uh, when the Adani response came out about um, about Hindenburg? Somebody said you should have a look at Reed Hastings' response to Whitney Tilson's um, short Netflix. Mm. Yeah, so that's a few years ago now. It was like 2010 or something like that. And uh, how'd that work had, out? Yeah, it was. A, he had this sort of pretty classy response. Mm. And he said something like, "We're both." We're both supporters of these charter schools, so I want you to keep your money. So I don't want you to be short this, which will mean that you'll lose money. So, and then he just then he answered all of the questions. And one of the questions that he that he posed was, "Why has your CFO left?" And then this the, he had he had a pretty you know ex, good explanation for why the CFO left. And then I tra- the CFO wanted to become a CEO at some point, but he realised that he was working for guys who were younger than he was, and so that's unlikely. That's your Half yeah. there. Do you know where that? Where's the? Where's the Netflix CFO now? Uh Roku. He's the CEO of Peloton. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. McCarthy, yeah. Mm. Right in that Barry McCarthy. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Fair play to him. Yeah. How do you feel about Peloton <laughs> as a going concern? Uh, I haven't looked in a little while. I, Simeon Siegel had a note out today. I think that they might be pursuing a freemium model, which is... Uh, it's called a bicycle. You just ride outside. <laughs> I think you get five classes for free is what they're ex- experimenting with. What about the bike? Well, I think, yeah, I think you need you the bike. You don't have to buy the bike and then you get... F- no, you don't have to buy the bike, but it's a better experience if you have the bike. Why is that? Because the analytics go into the computer. I think so. Uh, that, that would be my. Do you still ride yours, or is it uh, clothing? I sold mine a long time ago. Oh, you sold it. Yeah, but I I got love for Peloton. Hmm. They got me through the pandemic. I like their I like their stuff. The problem is, you know, it's just not the best workout in the world. What's a better workout? Kettlebells. Kettlebells. You knew it. <laughs> you knew it. Uh, it is a pretty great workout. You still still in love with it, TC? Almost every day. Oof. Beast mode. There wouldn't be many days that go by that I don't grab one. I like them. I just think they're fun. They are fun. I like doing um, curl. I mean, I, I like doing snatches and um, cleans when I was when I was a kid, when I was at school, so I like doing those things. Yeah, I don't know. Peloton not looking hot. The business or the stock price? No, the business. Okay. But I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to see when you're looking at it. like I, I don't know what's going on under the hood here. I'm not gonna spend much time on it, so I won't have good answers. I don't want to misquote Chainos here, but he said something like he's he'd never seen a market bottom as high as it is, um, as high as this one is. Yeah, bear market is doing something unheard of in my career. I've been on the street since 1980, and not one bear market has ever traded above nine times to 14 times the previous peak earnings. Things are not cheap. Soft landing would crush a lot of souls. So many people wanted to want the final flush and a yeah. soft landing would just would just absolutely crush so many people to see everything not implode I, it would be funny that's what i'm rooting for i think that if if there's a soft landing i will become the fed's biggest cheerleader because i will have been 100 wrong and i'll own that um if there's a hard landing i'm going to go the other way <laughs> <laughs> what's a hard landing though a crash, a flush. I mean, I, yeah. it's not honestly. It's not their fault. Like, the, I, I think these things are like natural occurrences. I think there have been there have okay. been business cycles going Call back to the- ancient times. But I think that they've that they've created some. They, they've they've just exacerbated it. They've made it much much worse. We, than we it, had than QE it to into last year. Still, I mean, it was these guys were fighting the last war always. I think you can delay it. I think you can push it out and you can make the bubble worse, but I don't think you can eliminate the cycle. But so far, it does look like we've eliminated the cycle. But the things are going up and things are going down. There's a cycle. It's just, you know, like quality assets are trading at at pretty high prices still. 
I have to wear I a soft landing I, I, t-shirt. I fail to conference. see a reason yeah. why that should not be true. What if uh, who has on their bingo card a soft landing economically, but the market still pukes? Yeah, that could happen. Or the other way around, the mark the 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 uh, the underlying is terrible, and somehow the market just levitates through it. That's more likely, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Is this that bad news is good news again that we lived through for five years of, of hell? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> More Fed intervention. Bad news is good. The question that I always get, and and somebody and somebody's raised this here, could go modestly lower and then grind sideways with chop for a long time. Mm. That's probably more painful for non-business because I think that yeah, that's I don't think that's ever crush. happened in the past though. Like people just get people get tired of it, people get bored and disappear. I think that the boredom is the thing that kind of created all of the the really high flyers through. Boredom created that stock market bubble and then boredom kind of killed it as well because it hmm. there just wasn't as much action hard I to have more th- action than 2020 that was action-packed that was an action year 2021 had a lot of action too that was yeah. there's some crazy stuff happening 2022 was kind of sleepy even though it was down 20-ish percent or it's almost quiet. 20 percent yeah the market quiet quit yeah <laughs> The VIX went to bed. Don't think it's woken up yet either. Mm. That's time, fellas. We made it. We made it. Thanks, everybody.